Hello, my name is Peter Stewart, and I've been coming to Crosspoint for about 11 years. When I first came to Crosspoint, I was a single dad with a daughter at home. I had just gone through a divorce, which left my finances in a mess. Uh, I had always promised my daughter that I would pay her tuition for college, so I got myself a credit card. I was driving tractor trailer at the time, and I decided I wanted to get off the road. I wanted to start attending church again. And so one day when I was making a trip, I had driven by this dealership, and something told me, you know what, maybe I could sell cars. So that's what I did. I got a job selling cars. When you first start selling cars, it's a commission base. And uh, I wasn't doing so well, so I got another credit card. At church services, I would put a 20 in the plate, and that would be just about it. About five or six years ago, the pastors started talking about tithing, tithing in, in a different way, a way that, that I began to understand. And I realized that tithing wasn't about money at all, it was really about faith, and I wanted in. There was another gentleman, he was a cross pointer, who worked at the dealership, and I spoke to him about the tithing and I said, you know, this might be a difficult task. And he suggested to me, well, why don't you just start gradually bumping up your offering until you get to where you need to be? And I thought, great, that was a good idea and I was excited to do this. So I got my envelopes and I started $50 a pay, 80, and then up to 100 until finally I reached my goal of 10%. I was excited. Then I began to notice we had more money in our budget. We paid off one credit card, and then the next year another credit card, and this last year we'll pay off our final credit card. On the spiritual side, I think sometimes we don't realize how much we have changed or how much we have grown until we reflect, until we look back at how, how our lives have changed. Uh, one thing that I noticed once we begin to tie is that Prayer took on a, a larger significance in my life. We started to pray daily, and prayer was, was very powerful and very important. Recently, we had a family member who suffers from a, a medical condition, and he's in considerable pain, and he started to self-medicate, and it quickly escalated into a bad situation. Uh, we prayed daily about it, and when we got to the South Campus that Sunday, we had asked our, our family there to pray for us in the prayer circle. And amazing thing happened. Within two weeks, uh, he had made more doctor's appointments. He was following his doctor's advice. He was feeling better, uh, no more self-medicating, and the family was healing. I always thought I was stuck at being a baby Christian. But since we have begun tithing and giving, I, I find we've just grown so much that we're no longer baby Christians. We're up and walking now, and we're ready to get on this journey. God is good. Amen. Good word. All right, well, how are we doing? Awesome. Good response. It's good to see you guys here today, and welcome to Crosspoint. And uh, a big hello to everyone watching at our South Campus right now. North, why don't we say hi to South Campus? Give them a shout. South Campus, why don't you say hi to us at the North? Hey. Okay, good. We heard you. We heard you. It was great. Uh, happy June. It's June. This is good news. Maybe it'll stop raining. <laughs> this is what it's like to be a New Brunswicker. Complain all winter about the snow, and then complain all spring about the rain, and then it'll be too hot for eight weeks, and then it'll be winter again. So it's good. So welcome. Welcome to the rain complaining season. Um, because it's June, though, that means we are technically getting a little bit closer to summer, and that's good news. Uh, kids are counting down how many more days of school there are. Yep. Also parents. Parents are counting down how many more lunches they have to make, actually, if you're anything like me. I can't wait until that's all done. 
Um, and so because it's getting closer to summer, I want to take a few minutes just to talk a little bit um, about what summer looks like at Crosspoint because we always end up doing a little bit of change with our services and service times because of summer just being the season that it is. So right now we do four services and we've had two, which has been awesome. Uh, we added a fourth in the fall, we added our campus, and it's been really good because God has blessed us, and uh, we're just seeing more and more people show up. It's been a busy, good season of ministry at the church. Um, but what this means in a few weeks is that uh, a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of our volunteers who have been helping us make that happen, uh, a whole bunch of you are going to go away, you're going to go to the cottage, you're going to go on vacation, uh, some of you are moving back home for the summer, or you've got different jobs, whatever that looks like, right? So it's going to change things, and what this means for us is a couple of different things. One, obviously, our volunteer base is going to shrink, and so we can't keep doing the same amount of things with a less amount of people. Right? I'm not, very, I'm not super good at math, but that's math. <laughs> right? If it takes 100 people to pull off four services, then if you only have 60 people, you need to plan accordingly for that, right? So that's, that's one part of it. Uh, we just don't want to get into trouble in the middle of July and think, we should not have been doing this. Uh, the other thing is that all of these volunteers have been serving so much week in and week out and week in and week out. This has been literally the busiest, most demanding season of ministry we've ever had as a church. It has required more people doing more work than ever before, and we are insanely proud of all of those people, and it's awesome. <laughs> Give them a hand. But they need a break too. And it is unbiblical for the church to burn out the church. It is not a biblical thing for the church to leave people exhausted and drained and just always go, 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 going. And so, as the same time as our volunteer base shrinks, it's also a great opportunity to say, you know what, this is okay to have a season where you don't need to give so much, where we don't need to be just kind of asking our people, just wringing them dry of what they can give us, right? Does that make sense? Okay. So we want our people to get rested and refreshed so that when we kick back off in the fall again with four services, our volunteers are like, woo, let's do this. Not like, oh, yay, September. That's not what we want, right? All right. So you look at those two things and you look ahead to the summer and you start to put some things together and you say, all right, we're going to make some changes. What we've done every year uh, in the summer when we've been in multiple services is that we always end up just taking a service away. When we were in two services, we went to one. When we were in three services last year, we went to two. Well, now we're in four services, so this summer we're going to move to three services. So we're obviously still going to keep South Campus. That is not a service time. That is a location, right? So they keep going. We love that. That's awesome, which means that we also keep Saturday night going because... Saturday night, you are, we record this one and then edit it to show it at South Campus. It would be hard to have South Campus and not Saturday. <laughs> so, what that means for us is that we are going to move to one service on Sunday mornings. And so, instead of a 9 and an 11, we're going to put them together and make a 10 a.m., all right? So, we're going to have a 6 p.m. Saturday and two Sunday morning 10 a.m. services, one on the south side, one on the north side. We think this is the best way to continue to effectively reach people all summer long, but also set ourselves up for what summer looks like with our volunteers and what we want to do for them so that they are healthy and energized. Moving to three services in the summer does not mean in any way that we're just planning to mail it in and take it easy. We are still going full steam ahead with doing what we do, and we've got two summer series planned. We're excited about them. We're doing baptisms in the river. We're doing barbecues. It's going to be an awesome summer. It's just one less service. All right? Make sense? All of this is going to start in July, so a month from this weekend. Uh, I think that the first weekend is like the first and second. So that'll all start in July move into three services, and it will start back up again normally in September. Sound good? Yeah. Hooray. You're still going to come to church on Saturday night, right? Yeah. Okay, good. This could be really weird to preach to nobody. Awesome. All right, well, 
let's get right to it. We're in the series where we're talking about all of the names that are given to God in Scripture, but it's really not about names, is it? We're really talking about who God is. We're talking about how God is a healer. He is a redeemer, that he is the creator. These aren't just titles. This is his personality. And so today, we're going to talk about another one of these names that he has given in Scripture. We're talking about how God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. Does anyone remember the classic song? I'm not going to sing it. I am. Jehovah Jireh. Anyone? Anyone? Yep. All right, Genesis 22. Let's just go to the Bible, shall we? First one. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. So right off the bat, we are discovering that this is a test. And often, when it comes to God's provision, when it comes to money, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to how much we have or how little we have or what we're supposed to do with what we have, it is very much a test from God, isn't it? He is waiting to see what you are going to do with what you have been given. He's waiting to see if you are willing to do whatever it is he asks you to do with what you have been given. So for Abraham and for all of us, our stuff, our provision, it is all very much a test. Verse 2 continues, Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. All right, so that's super normal. No, we, are, we are at verse 2 in this story, just took a turn for the crazy. And God asks him to sacrifice his son as an offering. Now, I know this sounds unfair and violent and mean, and it is all of those things, but remember, this is the year 2000 BC. This is a very different day and age. And, and for many of the people, for many of the religions, for many of the gods, it was commonplace for child sacrifice to happen. We, we actually read about it throughout scripture in multiple ways. You read about it in history books. It was not uncommon for people to have to give offerings to their gods to try and please them, to try and appease them. And, and the bigger the offering, then, then the more that God would bless you or the less angry that God would be with you. And what bigger thing could you give than your own child? And so it was a thing that happened. It's barbaric, certainly, but remember, this is thousands of years ago, and that was life for them. And so the idea of child sacrifice is crazy to us, but it wouldn't have been super out of place back then. And so not saying that would have made it easier for Abraham at all, but I am saying that that's noteworthy for us to keep in mind for a little bit later on. But we do need some context for Abraham. It is bad enough to be asked to give up your own son as a sacrifice, but it, it becomes even harder when you realize that that son was a gift from God in the first place. See, all Abraham wanted was a child. All him and his wife wanted was to have kids, and they couldn't for years and years and years and years. I mean, that is a painful, difficult season. Many of you have walked that road, or you are living that road, and it is hard. And Abraham and Sarah lived that season for 100 years. And then finally, one day, God says to Abraham, you're not just going to have a child, but I'm going to make you the father of a huge nation. You're going to have more kids than there are stars in the sky. It is going to be crazy, and it's awesome, and it happened they actually end up having a child, and, and it's this miraculous, joyful occasion. In fact, I love how the Bible explains it. This is Genesis, uh, just a chapter before, Genesis 21, verse 5. It says, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and your reaction is the same as Sarah's. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. <laughs> that is her response to finally having a kid. <laughs> 100 years old, and we're having a baby. And she says, all who hear about this will laugh with me. And they did. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby, yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. He is a hundred, and they are laughing, and it is hilarious, joyful, wonderful, miraculous. It is awesome. And one chapter later, God says, go take your only son and kill him for me. Why? I mean, that's hard. 
I don't care how normal it might have been in that day and age. What, what a huge, unbelievable thing to ask of Abraham. But verse 3 says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, and then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, set out for the place God had told them about. He got up early and set out. That's his response when God says, go take your only son and sacrifice him. He doesn't delay. He doesn't try and argue as far as we know. You know I'm imagining there would have been some kind of conversation there. Are you sure, God? Could I sit on this for a while? Could, could we rethink this? It doesn't tell anything about a conversation with his wife. Imagine that conversation with Sarah. You know, this kid that God gave us and we were laughing. Funny story. Like, how's that going to go over? But none of that happens according to the Bible. All it says is that he got up and he went. Unbelievable faith. Unbelievable obedience that Abraham shows in, in the midst of what would be a tremendously difficult task. And it continues in verse 4. On the third day of their journey. So he doesn't even get to get this over with quick. Imagine that weighing you down for three days. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and we have the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Have you ever had your kids ask you really hard questions? I mean, like, if you have kids, you know that they have asked you a bazillion questions. They don't stop asking you questions. And sometimes they are hard. Sometimes they ask you simple things that you should know and you don't. And you're like, ah, so what you do as a good parent is you lie and you just make stuff up. And you just answer them with confidence and they believe what you say to a certain age. All right, like, Dad, why, why do airplanes fly? How can a big metal thing fly in the sky? It's helium, just like the balloons, right? And I just, I've answered my children so many times with just whatever pops into my head. And at one point, even just recently, my youngest daughter, she looked at me, she said, Dad, how do you know all this stuff? Like, your father knows it. He's just a wise man. And sometimes, though, they'll ask you a question that stumps you, and I cannot imagine Abraham's thought with this question. Where's the sheep, Dad? I mean, I know that we're here to sacrifice something. He has a great answer in verse 8. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. God will provide. What he is saying, what he is hoping, what he is believing is that God is going to work this out. God is going to take care of this. God is going to see to it whatever it is that he's got planned. Verse 9 says, When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. As a parent, I'll be completely honest with you, I don't know if I get that far. I don't think on my most spiritual day I get that far. Maybe I get far enough to build an altar. But I'm not sure I lay a kid on it. I'm not sure I tie them down. Needless to say, at this point, Abraham has passed the test of unbelievable faith and obedience and trust to God's request. Fortunately, it works out for him. Verse 11. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. And you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. What a key line that is for us today. 
You have not withheld anything. You have not held on to something that I have asked you to let go of. Not even the most important thing. Verse 13, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yirah, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day, people still use the name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So there's a lot in there that you could talk about. There's a lot of sermons in there that you could preach about faith, about trust, about obedience, however kind of you wanted to take it. But the key thing for us today is that this is one of those times when God was given a new name. This is one of those kind of pivotal times in scripture where something so important happened that, that they actually gave him a new title and, they, and it's called that the Lord will provide. That was the takeaway for Abraham. Not a lesson necessarily in just faith, trust, and obedience, but in provision. That God is our provider of all the lessons learned, of all the things to remember from this story. Why is it about God's provision? And so one point that we need to talk about is to go back what we said earlier. See, up until this point in history, everyone's God, everyone's religion has been a very demanding God that, that just wanted everything. I want all your crops. I want all your money. I want all of your animals. I, I want your blood. I want you to hurt yourself. I, I want you to kill yourself or kill your children for me. This, this is what happened. in the. We read about it all through Scripture. You think of the story of the prophets of Baal and, and Elijah, and they, how they were cutting themselves and thinking, maybe the blood will make this God happy. They, they were just these terrible, awful gods. It was a take, take, take relationship. But all of a sudden, now we have a God who says, how about I do the giving for you? I mean, this would have been completely unexpected. This would have been a revolutionary thought. Instead of Abraham having to offer a sacrifice to God, God says, here is a sacrifice for you. And God provided for him, not vice versa. It wasn't Abraham, give me what you got. It was, I will give you something. In fact, on top of that, God had already provided him with a child. I mean, this is a, this is a promise on a promise. It's a gift on top of a gift. That God would be a provider is just a complete 180 from the rest of, of religions, from the rest of, even to this day, the fact that we have a God who says, I will give generously to you rather than just, you need to work your tail off for me, you need to impress me, you, you need to do everything perfectly or else this, that, or the other thing is going to happen, you need to whatever. But our God is a God who gives to us. He is a God who gives to his people. He's a God who gives generously. He's not a God who demands child sacrifices. He's a God who gives children his gifts. That's, that's the takeaway for Abraham. Man, this God is different. He is great and good and generous, and he will provide. Our God is a provider. He's not just a taker. He's not just following us around with a list of demands, saying, I need you to do this and be like that and be perfect and give me all this stuff. He's a God who gives to his people. The Lord will provide. We have a God who provides for us. And so what does it mean for us today that God is still our provider? What can we learn from that? What do we need to know from that? Well, one, first thing we need to remember is that God owns everything. God owns it all. Everything is his, right? There, there isn't a single thing that God doesn't have. God has never needed to borrow anything. He's never been short on anything. He's never had to run over to his neighbor's house and borrow an egg midway through making dessert. He's, he's never running low. He's never checking his bank account. He, he's never had to apply for a loan. He's never had to wait it out until payday showed back up again. No, he, he has everything. Because if he's a God who can provide anything and everything, then doesn't it make sense that he first has to have it? So he owns it all. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it 
The world and all its people belong to him. Everything is his, which means that everything you own is his. It's all his. There isn't anything that you have that isn't purely your own thing. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's not fair. I worked hard. I got my money, and I, I bought all this stuff, and it's mine. Well, who, who let you work that job? Who gave you the capacity to work that job? Is it a job you work with your hands? Well, where did you get those? It is a job that you, you work because you've got a mind that has to think things out. Well, who gave you that? And who gave you the job to begin with? Well, I got hired by so-and-so. No, no, no. Trace it all the way back, and you will find the providential sovereign hand of God working everything out just for you in your favor. There is nothing you own that is not his. It is all a gift from him. Everything you have is something that he saw fit to give you out of his own generosity. He is a provider. It's the equivalent of my kids thinking that they own anything in that house of theirs. Dad, all of these toys are mine. You think they are. But who bought you those toys? Whose bed are they sitting on? And whose house is that bed sitting on? And who's, who bought you the clothes you're wearing? Who gave you the food that you ate today? These are all mine. Yeah, right they are. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous to think that my kids own anything. How ridiculous is it for us to make statements to God like, no, this is mine. It's all mine. I earned this. I worked for this. I got this. And God's in heaven going, <laughs> Are you kidding me? You think it is. It's not even close. Everything you have, I've given you because I'm a generous, good provider. Abraham was blessed with Isaac, but whose child was Isaac really? I mean, wasn't he a promise from God? Abraham couldn't provide Isaac. He wanted to, couldn't make it happen. Sarah couldn't provide Isaac. Wasn't for lack of trying. They certainly knew how to make it happen, you know, technically. They couldn't. They couldn't. Why not? Because Isaac was a gift given to them by God, only from God. Everything you have is given to you the exact same way. It's given to you by him when he says it's okay, according to how he sees fit in your life to give things to you. So what does that mean for us? Well, mainly, please hold loosely to everything that you own. Don't hold too tightly on anything that you own because he can give it and he can take it away. Don't cling too tightly to your stuff, to your things, to your wallet, to your future, to your savings. It's all mine. What's going to happen? It's all his. It's all his. Don't get too attached. In fact, there's a story of a, a guy named Job in the Bible who in one day, I mean, this guy was crazy rich, tons of, of livestock and buildings and servants and kids. In one day, he loses all of it. One day, he loses all of his animals, all of his buildings, all of his servants, all of his children. In one day, gone. This is his response in Job 121. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. He owns it all. He owns it all. So maybe, maybe that should serve as a warning for those of us who love our stuff and find it hard to let go of our things, who find it easy to collect and to own and to want more and to go to the mall one more time, don't hold on too tightly to it because as quickly as he gave it, he can take it away. I mean, you don't know what you could lose today. So hold loosely. Now on the flip side, the good news is what it means when God owns everything, is that whatever it is you're currently lacking, he has in abundance. Whatever it is that you're missing right now, whatever you're low on, whatever you need right now, he's got it. He's got more of it than you could ever imagine or even need. All right, so if it's money and you're thinking, man, money is tight, it is low, how are we going to make it to the next pay? It's not your money anyway, it's his, and he didn't run out, so good news. What you need, he has in abundance, and he is a good God who provides for us. And, and it's not even just physical things. 
but it's spiritual things too. Is any of you lacking strength or faith or joy or peace? He has all of it, all of it in abundance, and he wants to give it to all of you. Whatever you need right now, he owns and wants to give it to you. So be encouraged. He has not run out. He doesn't ever run dry. He doesn't watch the stock markets in fear thinking, what are, what are my shares going to do today? Bad news for me. He's got all of it. It's all his. So don't ever worry or fret or fear that you are low on anything. He's got enough. He's got enough. Scarcity is not anything that God ever worries about. So he owns it all. The second thing we need to know is that he gives it all. He gives it all. He's a generous God. He loves to give to us. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says it like this, and God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. He will generously provide a little bit of what you need, some, all. In fact, he doesn't even just give you what you need. He gives you so much more that he wants you to give it to other people. In other words, whatever you need, God has an abundance, and whatever you have an abundance, God has given to you to fill a need. Make sense? That's why you have what you have, and then some. He's a generous God. James 1.5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. See how easy this is for God? Say, <laughs> like, just ask me for it. Just ask me for it. I'm not even going to get upset with you. You know how sometimes you're scared when you have to go ask your parents for money and you're like, I don't want to do this. Oh, Dad. God's like, I'm not going to get mad at you. Ask me for it. I want to give you more. One more example, Matthew 11:9 says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? <laughs> of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is basically saying, even the worst parents in the world know how to give good gifts. Right? Even that dad who forgot his own kid's birthday and ran to Walmart at the last minute, he understands what it means to give good gifts. So how much more, being perfect and generous and amazing as I am, how much more do I know what it's like to give good gifts? How much more do I love to, to give out of my generosity to my children? And again, we see this in Isaac. Isaac was a promise given to Abraham. He loved it. And then... The ram that was given instead of Isaac was a gift that was given, and he loved it. In fact, the best gift that God has ever given us is Jesus, which is actually what this story is about. I don't know if you caught all of the language that was in there about you want me to give my one and only son, who I love so much, and that the journey took them three days and it was supposed to end in death, but surprise, it didn't. And the fact that he actually put the wood on Isaac's back as they walked to the place of death, just like Jesus walked with his own cross to his place of death. This is a story, but it points to the story. And it points us that the Lord will provide, but Abraham didn't know in that moment exactly what that provision looked like, but God gave us the thing that we all needed exactly the most, which was salvation, which was righteousness, which was freedom, which was new life, we were never going to be capable, capable of providing that for ourselves. So God gave it to us. In fact, the story of the Old Testament is a story of how God said, here's all the things you need to do if you want to be in my favor. You have to be perfect. And here's 700 ways to prove it. And of course, no, no one could do it. So what does he do? He actually gives us what we needed through Jesus Christ. So here's what I need from you guys. Also, by the way, here's the answer. It's like a teacher saying, you guys need to get an A plus on this test or you fail everything forever. And then saying, by the way, here's all the answers. That's what God did. He didn't just set us, set us up and say, here's what you need to, to find eternal life, salvation, and freedom. Good luck to you. He said, also, let me provide that for you. 
the Lord will provide, and he did. He absolutely did, and he still does. He is a provider. In fact, at the beginning of that story, verse 2, we're like, who would ever demand that they sacrifice their own son? <laughs> he did. He did. He did it for us. We think, that's outrageous. That's crazy. And that was a gift. And he gave us exactly what we needed. So he owns it all, and he gives it all. But the final part of this is that we also have a, a role to play. See, he asks us for it all. There's things that we need to do when it comes to knowing that God is our provider. See, Abraham had to step out in faith and trust God, didn't he? He had to actually choose to obey, and he played a part in God showing up and, and receiving God's blessing and God's favor. It was only then that God provided. In other words, in order for Abraham to receive, he had to let go. And that's often what God asks of us. If you want what I'm going to give you, if you want this blessing, if you want this answer, if you want whatever it is you're praying for, that's great, but you need to let go of what it is you're currently holding on to, even if it's your most valuable thing. Are you willing to do that? And for Abraham, it worked. We actually read about this story uh, way later in the New Testament in the book of James. Chapter 2 says... Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. So we love the part about God giving to us. We love the part about God being generous to us. We're not super fun, fond of, of the part where God asks us to give back. We're not super fond of the part when God says, I just need you to do this really hard thing first. Because I need to know that you trust me. I need to know that you have enough faith in me that I know what's best for you. Will you let go of your most valuable thing? Will you let go of the thing that's your favorite thing? And think, God, why would you ever ask me to let go of that? You gave it to me. Don't be so mean. He's like, listen, listen. Do you trust me? Do you believe that my way is better than your way? And if you believe that everything I own is, or everything that you own is mine anyway, then why are you worried? There's plenty more where it came from. I just want to know that you're willing to let go in order to receive. And it was a test. And again, for lots of us, this is absolutely a test. What are you holding on to in your life right now so tightly to that you're not receiving what it is God wants to give you? And you've been praying, you've been praying for that answer, you've been praying for that blessing or that miracle or that direction or whatever it is, but the problem is that you're still holding on to something that you're too afraid to let go of. What's going to happen if I let go of that? Trust me. God says, trust me. Am I not your provider? Do I not own everything? Do I not want what's best for you? So maybe that's what he's asking you to do today, to let go of something. See, you only have what you have because God gave it to you. But it comes with strings attached. And whatever you have, God wants to use for you and for the kingdom. It's like the scriptures that we already read. If you've got an abundance, then share it with others. But God says, it's me first, and then you'll see what happens. With Abraham, it was sacrifice first, and then you'll get the blessing. Luke 12, 31 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. That, that verse is in the middle of a chunk of scripture that's all about, don't worry about what you're going to eat, don't worry about what you're going to drink, don't worry about what you're going to wear, I've got it taken care of. And he goes on to say, so seek first the kingdom of God, and then you'll get what you're looking for. In other words, God first, and then he'll take care of you. But God wants to know that you trust him and believe in him first. I mean, this is directly linked to why we tithe, isn't it? This all goes back to the Old Testament when, when God said, I'm going to give you everything you need, but I want you, before that happens, I want you to give me your first and your best, the, the first 10%. I want that to be mine. And he did it as a way of saying, do you trust me? 
Will you worship me in this way? Do you have enough faith in me? If, if again, if I'm your provider, this shouldn't be hard, but I need you to let go of your best. I want your best cow, your best sheep. It was a test of saying, will you let go so that I can bless you? And so we admire Abraham's faith, but how many of us have struggled with tithing? <laughs> it's hard. We've all been there. We've all thought, well, man, that's asking a lot. What's going to happen if? Doesn't God know what I'm dealing with here? Doesn't he know what my budget looks like right now? And Jesus' response is, seek the kingdom of God first, and then you'll get everything you need. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Church, God is our provider. He will give you everything that you need. And he is a good and generous God. But we also need to do whatever it is he's asking you to do. So today I want you to be encouraged knowing that whatever it is you lack, he's got it in abundance and wants to give it to you. But I also want you to be challenged knowing that he's probably asking you to do something with what he's given you. And how is he asking you to do that? Maybe like in Pete's video, he's asking you to step up and give, maybe for the first time, to understand what it means to tithe and have it be an act of worship. Maybe it's another venue that you're looking to, to be generous in, or whatever it is he's asking you to do, maybe it's just to let go of something. But if you trust that he's your provider, then when we give, we'll be able to watch him do something miraculous, more than you ever thought that he could do with it. The Lord will provide. He did for Abraham, and he will for us. I mean, how many of you have stories of God's incredible provision at just the right time? And he does this. It's who he is. It was a new name given to mark a new day, to mark a different kind of God who gives to his people, not just the other way around. So what I want to do for us right now is I want to pray for us. And then I've got a challenge for us that's kind of tied to what we just talked about, okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are good, and you are generous, and we are grateful that you own it all. And God, I pray for the people right now that are in need of something. Maybe it's financial, God. Maybe it is something that, that is a physical, tangible thing. God, I pray that you would bless those people even this weekend that you would give them what they need, that, that you would take fears and worries away about bills or about putting food on the table or, or what's coming up around the corner. God, I, I just pray that, that as they step out in faith that you would bless them. And God, maybe it's people that are in need of something spiritual, of your peace, of your joy, for direction, whatever that is. God, I, I just pray that it would flow out of your abundance into their life today, Jesus and that you would fill their tanks that are running dry, that you would give them an abundance so that they could share in the generosity. Father, grow us as a church to be a generous church who gives and gives and gives as you continue to bless us, Father. Grow us to be generous-hearted people, Father. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Just, just to be clear, if you're keeping track at home, this was 75 minutes. We're done on time. Thank you. But I do have just a few more minutes. Um, we often have people asking us at church, uh, speaking of generosity and giving, like, is there something I can give to right now? Is there some way I can be a blessing? Is there things that you guys need? And so almost every year, there is an opportunity for us to raise money as a church to invest in something that will help our ministry. Right now, we, we give a ton of money to give it away. I want you to know that. In fact, this past year, we raised over, what is $150,000 for missions? Something crazy like that, all right? So you should know that first and foremost. But every year, we often have a project that we're raising money for that will help us kind of better our church to better reach our vision. So last year, it was a campus. We came before you guys and said, with feeling like this is something God's calling us to do. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a lot of money. And you guys gave like $50,000, $60,000 so that we could launch a campus. It was unbelievable. God was our provider and it blew us away. Um, a couple years ago was for air conditioning, right? Just to give you the idea of how <laughs> different these can be. And praise the Lord for air conditioning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, and so this is kind of above and beyond stuff that doesn't fit into the budget because it's 
kind of more than what we can pull off. We actually raised our budget a lot this year because we're growing like crazy. We added staff. So thank you for everyone giving very well. That's great. And we need you to do that. Um, so we need to raise money for a couple of very specific things that are going to help us continue to do ministry at the level we want to do it at so that we can keep reaching people for Jesus. That is the goal. Yes. Okay. Um, so two very practical needs. One is that we need to significantly change the way we're currently doing children's ministry, check-in, and registration. And if you are a parent, you're going, yes, praise the Lord, there's a better way. Um, we have to sign kids in every single week. One, for their safety. Right? We don't want to lose children. That's bad. Losing kids is bad. Um, but it's also a way for us to track attendance and, and more importantly, to connect with new families, new parents, with all these children. Uh, we are currently seeing around 100 kids every weekend at church. Wow, that's crazy, 100. And so the need for us to keep up with this, so we're continuing to kind of operate efficiently, but also safely and also as a way to connect with parents is, is just increasing, but we're still using paper We've got paper laid out across a desk and people are filling in things with pens and they get bracelets and all this. It's, it, it takes a while and it's kind of, we've just outgrown the way we do things, right? So we need to purchase, uh, it's called an electronic sign-in system. Uh, our new kids pastor is actually using this right now, loves it, knows it, thinks it's the best thing ever. Um, it's going to be a better way to connect with families, to meet people, and, and to get kids signed in super quick, because right now we're bottlenecked down there in that little hallway. So I think it's as simple, literally, as like a key fob that you get to walk in and go, beep, done. Praise the Lord. Next year, it'll be retina scanners. Just wait, okay? So it's, it's coming. So this is, like, this is like when every office building and doctor's office and whatever moved from file folders to computers. <laughs> We're still in file folder land, and so we need to kind of jump up to the next day and age that can really, really help the efficiency and safety of our kids' program. Hugely important. I know that's not glamorous, but it's not supposed to be glamorous, right? In fact, it's often more of a sacrifice when it's not glamorous. The second thing that's also really exciting is that we also would really like to buy a new video switcher program. And what I mean by this um, is that we, we currently record our services and we send one, obviously, to the South Campus so that they can watch service. And then two, we put them online so that people can watch them later. And when we launched our campus, ironically, we launched a video campus, one of the things we didn't invest in was video gear because we were trying to be thrifty and wise and smart, spent all of the money on stuff that we actually needed and a trailer to put it in and bills to pay the theater and all that kind of good stuff, but we're still not where we should be with our video quality. So we're still in like standard def mode when the rest of the world is in HD. If you've been at South Campus or you're there right now, I'm a little fuzzy. <laughs> That's okay. I'm literally fuzzy right now. People are like, why don't you shave? Every day I wake up and I just don't. It's not a decision. Let's see what happens. Maybe I will tomorrow. Who knows? Um, so we really want to up the quality of our video. It matters a lot when that's actually a video campus. It, it should look good. It should be excellent. We should honor God with our excellence. Um, the other part of this is that we record right now on two cameras and the editing process is manual and takes forever. Someone has to get those two cameras, put all their data on a machine, grab the audio, combine all of it, edit all of it, make what camera and then this camera and then that audio and then that scripture and then you gotta export it. But church is tomorrow at the campus or today, campus. And so someone's doing that after church tonight. John is doing that after church tonight. And that takes hours. So John will be here editing service till 10 or 11 or later, and then he's up super early to go unload at 7 a.m. at the campus. That's not great. And so what a video switcher does, it allows someone to be back there editing on the fly and recording live so when church is done, you can hit export and we're ready. It's awesome. And it will save someone, John, right now, an incredible amount of time and sanity and energy. 
And we think that's really, really important. The other thing that's also awesome about this is that it will also give us what we need to broadcast our services live. So we will be able to have online church. We'll be able to go on Facebook Live or whatever it is. And so if you can't be at church, you can watch it as it's happening. You don't need to wait for us to upload it on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. You can tune in and watch, which is also a great way to reach brand new people who might not come to church, but they'll go on the internet. And you'd be amazed at how many people just show up because of a website. And so we're excited about the prospect of being able to offer services online where people can tune in and hear about Jesus. And so for all of those reasons, we think it's a really important and valuable thing for us to have. Now, the cost of those two things combined is about $15,000. Not 50 like a campus, just 15. And I think it's really important that we do this. And this is an opportunity for you to say, all right, I get to give generously to my church so that we can keep doing what we need to do to reach people for Jesus, right? It's one of those, it's the answer to one of those questions of why do I have what I have? And what is God asking me to do with it? And how can I give first to the kingdom of God? And then maybe I can see how God blesses me. And so today we don't just have to hear a sermon and go, neat, good word, we get to do it. And so we would love to have this money raised so that we can have it and own it and have it implemented before we launch for the fall in September. That's our goal. So this is kind of a three month, we've got the summer, let's raise $15,000 and do what we need to do so that we can launch strong in the fall with some exciting new stuff. And so to give to this, what you really need to do is just designate your giving. So if you give at the debit machine, write on the envelope, summer project. If you give with cash, write on your envelope, summer project. If you give online, I don't know what to tell you, but you can figure it out, all right? It's, we just, however you need to give, give, but be sure to designate it accordingly to that project. $15,000 over the summer, that's like $5,000 a month, which is just a little over $1,000 a week, which over four services, that's like only 300 bucks a service. Look at ya. You guys are loaded, 300 bucks, that's easy. Um, and so that's what we're asking you to do. Um, we believe in Crosspoint, obviously I'm biased, I work here, but we believe in what we're doing and we believe in making it the best we absolutely can to reach even more people for Jesus. It is our vision to make him famous for the good of our city and the hope of our world. And we believe that this is an important way that we can do that. And so here's a chance to practice what we just preached and give generously. Our God's a provider. It's not like he's going to run out. He's got you covered, right? All right, let's sing a song.